Welcome to the Anthro to UX podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It's Matt Arts of Anthro to UX. Uh, this week, I'm going to be sharing a previously recorded Anthro Day event where myself, Amy Santee of Anthropologizing, Gabby Campbell of That Anthro Podcast, Phil Searles of the Human Science Task Force, and Adam Gamwell of This Anthro Life talked about making uh, anthropology visible or public or you know raising our awareness. I have been holding on to this for a while, and I know some of you may have watched the live stream, but I also wanted to share it here so that everybody could have a chance to listen to it. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. And also from now until May 25th, uh, there is a sale at anthrotux.com where you can get 15% off any of the coaching services. So if you're graduating or even if you're just in the market for the services, please check it out. I'd be uh, happy to help you all. So thanks for listening. And I'll be back two weeks from now with a new guest episode. So again, thanks for joining. I uh, Happy Anthro Day to everybody out there. Hope you're all having a great day uh, celebrating. Uh, the reason for putting this event together was really a couple uh, a couple reasons. One, I wanted to um, really have you know have take this opportunity to have some conversation with some leading figures in anthropology who are working to increase the visibility of anthropology using new media. And so, you know, this is a great team to do it with. These are all you know wonderful people. I know you've seen their names all over the internet. So uh, we have a great cast who will contribute to that conversation. I was also hoping, you know, as a sort of personal goal, I'm hoping that there will be some other people who are listening that are maybe inspired to do their own, uh, start their own initiative in some way, whether that's a podcast, you know, a vodcast, uh, just a webinar series, whatever it may be, blogging as Amy does, you know, just contributing maybe more frequently on social media, whatever it may be. So hopefully, um, you know, our goal is to maybe inspire some of you. And then, you know, for say us on this session, I'm looking forward to just sort of sharing and learning with each other. And I am sure everybody else is here based on our little pre-roll conversation. I know we're all, we all feel that there's something to learn from each other. And um, so I think that's really exciting for us. And then, you know, really it's just an opportunity to hang out with some cool people who, you know, in some cases I haven't seen in over a year and others I've never met, but some that we've, you know, we've connected over the internet so that's what we're trying to do today. We're going to go, you know, an hour, hour and a half. Um, assuming we wrap up a little early, depending on what we might talk about, there'll certainly be some opportunity for questions and answers. And so um, I guess that's it. I'll kick it off by giving my introduction, and then I'll turn it over to, to the others on the on the floor here. So again, Matt Arts, Anthro to UX. From my perspective, what I've been trying to do to contribute um, to making anthropology more public is blogging a little bit on my own personal website, though, though, you know, Amy is sort of the, takes the, takes the lead there. I tried to speak 
outside of the world of anthropology. So I've given a TED talk. Um, today I gave a presentation for Anthro Day at Montgomery College, which of course had anthropology students, but it also had for, for business students and engineering students. And I teach in a business program and go on podcasts that are non-anthropological podcasts. So I'm trying to really speak and speak outside of our discipline. So uh, with that, I'll maybe just turn it over to Gabby and let her do her in introduction. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Gabby Campbell, and um, I just started my podcast in July 20, which is seven months now. It feels like it was just yesterday. So I am an undergraduate anthropology major at UC Santa Barbara. And when everything went online, I just felt such a disconnect and I missed so much connecting with my fellow students, professors, really having fun experiences in anthropology that aren't just, you know, a lecture, really engaging with the subject material. So I thought the best way that I could do that was to start my own podcast. And luckily, they're so easy to just start and for low budget from my own apartment that I've been able to out throughout this whole pandemic to continue to produce episodes. And I think for me, one of the biggest things is it's really helped me create an even greater community, especially within UC Santa Barbara, since we are professors are all, all over the world right now. They're taking advantage of the time off. So it's been really great to still develop that community. And I can't wait to get back on campus and to further develop that community. And, you know, having worldwide listeners is such a pleasure. I love that I can connect with people that way. Uh, one of the things that I use a lot is Instagram. And I kind of grew up in like the Instagram generation. You know, it became a thing when I was in middle school and I've really been on it since it pretty much started. And I think it's a really fun place to put out positive content that people can engage with. So I like to use bright colors. I like to ask questions. I like to really try and engage with my audience because I think it's fun. And I think it's another way that we can continue talking about things outside of the podcast. So for me, that's been really special to learn how I can both use it as a marketing tool to introduce new people to the podcast, but then also to further engage with my audience. I've, you know, I've had people that DM me on Instagram that are listeners and they really want to come on the podcast. So that's a really wonderful way to uh, introduce new people to anthropology and, you know, introduce them to the podcast as well. So I'll, I'll hand it over to Phil to give his, his spiel, but um, I, my, right next to my name is my Instagram handle, but you can find that Anthropodcast on all the uh, major streaming sites. Cool. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Phil, and I, about a year ago, co-founded the Human Science Task Force with Adam. Uh, it was a little bit more than a year ago, actually, because this was before, this was pre, pre-COVID, before the pandemic and social distancing. And that initiative had been something that we've been talking about uh, really as a result of some of my research uh, that had become controversial um, after I did it in grad school, which was a really interesting thing because my perspective was very different as an anthropologist because I'm looking at at socio-technical systems. I'm not looking at all of the, the headline news. And, you know, there was also... Uh, there were two accidents at Boeing. And so we created some, some content on that issue where you had, um, you know, some um, accidents as a result of design issues. You can trace the design issues back to cultural issues. And I think that's one of the really interesting things about anthropology being a holistic field 
of study, it doesn't matter if it's user experience or organizational culture. Uh, we are, um, you know, we get, our perspectives matter in a lot of different areas, especially as we've seen with 2020, all of these crises come together from uh, systemic racism to the pandemic and um, ecological issues. And so the Human Science Task Force really just was born out of a need, uh, a, a sense of purpose to start to uh, raise our voices and um, do whatever we can. And so part of that was uh, um, a collaboration with this Anthro Life. Uh, and so I'll turn it over to Adam. You can talk about his work with that. Cool. Should I let Amy go first or should I jump in? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, we'll go this way. Cool. So, hey, everybody. My name is Adam Gamwell. Uh, I, um, as, as Phil said, I work on this Anthro Life podcast and we work together on the Human Science Task Force. Um, and I, I guess part of it is I am, uh, I don't know if I have job or project ADD, but I, I just love working on all the kinds of projects I can and, uh, and have been obsessed with getting anthropology out into wider circles ever since I was in graduate school. And so this anthro life was what I affectionately call my graduate school therapy. And that it began as a you know, conversational series with two other graduate students uh, of how do we have conversations around all the amazing things that we're studying and, and, and you know, the anthropology looks at the most interesting things in the world, right? And there's no shortage of amazing human stories out there. And uh, the podcast itself has evolved over the years, and I'll talk a bit about this later too, but uh, you know, it, it began as a kind of conversational series where we'd pick a topic like beer or dreams or, or drugs, and then kind of pull together anthropological topics and talk about those over over an episode a week. And uh, the show has followed a bit of my own biography in terms of now I work as an industry researcher. I worked for myself for a number of years, um, and you know I went through and I did, and I did PhD. So I've done, I've done kind of a bunch of different areas with anthropology. And uh, to me, the podcast was always both a tool of creative expression and professional development. And it's uh, been such a joy over the years. I've done, I've done this for about seven years now, which is kind of crazy. Um, that has, uh, you know, I, I, similar to Gabby, I love talking with listeners and folks that I've, I've wanted to engage with the podcast and just have, have get things out of it. And hearing stories about that uh, folks have used the podcast, uh, the way that we have conversations on it to help them learn how to talk in a job interview about the value they bring to a job role uh, or how they might approach a topic for a paper, right? And so that to me is what this podcast is all about, is how do we bring anthropology into more conversational ways that we can use it to help ourselves solve problems. And so for me, the big thing is that anthropology is fundamental to solving human problems and understanding why we make them in the first place. And uh, we need better ways of communicating that. And so to me, podcasting is just my chosen medium, I suppose. But um, that's why I'm so excited to be on this panel and talk with everybody today, because there's so many different ways of doing it, including the task force, blogging, um, you know, doing public speaking too. I also do that similar to Matt. And so without further ado, I will turn it over to Amy. Thank you. Um, yes, I'm Amy Santee. I live in Portland, Oregon. I am the creator of anthropologizing.com. My blog has actually been um, on the internet for 10 years now. And it's been interesting to take a look back and reflect on why I started the blog in the first place, which I couldn't even remember. So I had to think back to where I was. Um, it was 2011. I was just graduating from my program at the University of Memphis, 
um, getting my master's in applied anthropology there. And I don't really honestly know what caused me to start a blog specifically. I think podcasts weren't really a thing or weren't really as common. Maybe I would have considered that. But of course, in anthropology school, we just write, write, write. That's what we learn how to do. And I think my mind was in the space of, well, I'm just going to continue writing because that's how I know uh, how to communicate. So I started this blog on Blogspot and it wasn't called Anthropologizing back then. It was some, you know, I don't even remember what it was called. But about a year or two in, I thought of a new name, Anthropologizing. And the origin story of that is I was in a bar in grad school in Memphis uh, probably in 2011 or 10. Um, and we were all drinking, having fun. And some guy um, was asking me, what, you know, what do you study? Uh, what are you studying right now? And I said, anthropology. He's like, ooh, can you anthropologize me? And that is, I realized that what he meant was like, can you just, can you psychologize me? Can you sociologize me? And really anthropologizing just means, you know, it, anthropology is whatever you want it to be. Um, to think anthropologically about anything that's going on in the world, in your life. So, you know, going back to starting my blog, I, what I've realized is that I started it in order to figure out what anthropology even is and what practicing it in the real world means, um, because that's very different from what we learn in school and how we're trained, how we're trained to communicate and uh, think about things. And so um, I just started reflecting on, oh, I'm looking for a job. Here's my struggles. Um, here's what I'm doing in my job now as a researcher um, working in user experience research. Um, I did a whole series of interviews with 21 anthropologists, eventually um, people who work in all different kinds of fields, asking them about how do you apply anthropology in your career? It's gone back and forth between very specifically anthropology-focused things uh, to my personal experiences in my career, uh, reflections on organizational culture, what it's like to work in design and technology. Um, so it's kind of a mishmash of things. But what's interesting is um, I recently transitioned from being a user experience researcher um, over the past 10 years into being a career coach for people who are in user experience or who want to get in. And now my blog has kind of come full circle in that regard because I have always been interested in careers and the challenge of coming from anthropology and trying to figure out how do I get a job. And that is my goal now to help people get a job. And in a nutshell, I feel like all the work we're doing with podcasting and YouTube and LinkedIn, social media, Instagram, like Gabby said, um, blogging is, uh, to know how to communicate publicly is what's going to make you more successful in being an anthropologist. So that's why I like, that's why I appreciate all of the work that you all and many, many other people are doing in the public sphere to just show people it's possible to be an anthropologist out in the world and work on really important things. And, um, you know, that's kind of the reality for most people now because we can't all stay in academia. So, so yeah. Um, cool. Does that sound good for my intro? Yeah. Sounds okay. great. Thanks, Amy. So appreciate that from everybody. So maybe Gabby, we can start it off with you. You know, you have most recently, you know, started your effort. So that Anthro podcast and, you know, in starting that, or actually you, 
I may have followed you. I was on your podcast and then sort of followed you, but I'll, still, I want to hear from you. So tell me, you know, what have you learned in the process of starting one and how might other people go about that process? And, you know, is there anything you know, right now that you're thinking of changing any, you know, the platform you chose, the distributor, you know, anything at all? Yeah. Thank you for that question. Before we go into that, I just want to say, Amy, that I love how you came up with anthropologizing. That is a great story because I think about like, I'll be taking a walk through my town and I'm like, oh, the anthropology of this college town, I could write a whole book on it and the social norms here, you know? So I love that. I think that's a great name. Uh, back, back to Matt's question. Um, yeah. So I really... I had this idea for the podcast in the middle of the night. It woke me up. I sat up straight in my bed at midnight and I wrote out my mission statement, which was a really great way. I started the project very passionately, but as someone who's a really big planner, I actually didn't plan out kind of a long-term future for the podcast. It was this really spur of the moment idea. And now that I've been doing it for seven months, I've realized some of these key things that I'm doing moving forward and that I would definitely recommend to other people. So one of those is backlogging your episodes. Uh, I really wish I would have started out, you know, maybe releasing five episodes or, you know, a a chunk so that I could have kind of built an audience and then grown from there. But, you know, I started just releasing episodes once a week, reaching out to guests once a week. And it was not always, it was a little stressful to do that. So now I've gotten this really good system, reaching out to people quite in advance because, you know, we're all busy and this is a really interesting time just in general to try and coordinate schedules people are on all time so sorts of different time zones you know guests that are in different countries across the world and really i think one of the things moving forward that i want to do is break down some of my topics a bit more because i really want to be able to reach a wider audience that's not just academic i think i've maybe gone a little too far in that direction in some respects. Uh, I think it's, I like to self-criticize, so it's, it's okay. And I think that one of my friends who's an anthropology podcaster, Gabby LaPera of Anthrobiology Podcast, she does such a wonderful job of inserting a quick, this term means X, Y, and Z, just for some of those topics may not be common knowledge to some people that are finding my podcast organically and, you know, maybe aren't anthropologists. So I think moving forward, that's something I want to further, you know, ask better follow-up questions when they're talking about their research, because I may understand it, but some of those topics, they aren't as understandable to everyone. Um, Another thing that has been really eye-opening is how much I can connect with my community. Since I have had a lot of UCSB guests, it's been wonderful because I feel more connected with my town, Santa Barbara, as a whole. And I'm actually going to be starting some fundraising campaigns uh, for some community um, issues such as the for the food bank, Humane Society, just because I want to continue to be a part and very active in my community. I'm working on a forensics project right now, you know, in, in Santa Barbara. And it's made me really realize the importance of starting with your own community and then influencing outwards. So I really want to get, you know, Barbara, like, really build that base so that I have made this impact and then it can, you know, kind of reflect outwards. Yeah, great. So Adam, you know, having, um, you know, obviously you've been podcasting a long time. Did you start with a bunch of episodes or were you also going out one or the other and like, you know, any thoughts on about getting guests lined up and how you've maybe managed that? Yeah, that's, it's a good question. Um, 
when when we began, we did it. Uh, there was there was three of us that began as graduate students, and so actually, similarly, we began the podcast in a bar, like Amy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the origin of many many great right? things. Yes, right. <laughs> um, as, as Homer Simpson said, "Beer is the what the the problem, the cause of, and solution to all of humans' problems." Right. Um, <laughs> But but uh, yeah, to your point, like so when we began, we we had sort of internal conversations where we would pick a topic and then just do some internal research, you know, a short Google Doc, and then get together once a week and talk. But when we then as the show began to evolve, we started doing interviews like like you're doing, and it was similar. We tried to think a little bit out ahead, but I'm 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 the opposite of an organizer or a planner. I'm like a fly by the seat of my pants kind of thing, and so um, for better or for worse, uh, it's it's required some planning. But certainly now I do I do plot ahead. Um, and that's it's been helpful in terms of, of, you know, getting a sense of when people could talk. The the one the one challenge I find too, if you if if people are thinking about doing a podcasting and you want to get with guests, production takes time, um, and and it's I will say like I, I do think it's it's worth the same way that you would edit a paper or a blog. You don't just put out the audio as is. Like it's worth doing editing, um, and the same way that you don't just want to hear someone's random conversation on the train. You want to hear the best parts of that conversation on the train, right? That's what makes it useful. Right. Um, and so just realizing that editing matters. Uh, and so that's, that's an important piece too, but like recognizing that that time frame has to become part of your planning also. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it, it is key to kind of think ahead. Um, but yeah, COVID's made it easier actually. As I think we, and you may have found this too, Matt, with your, with your podcasting work is, is that, um, flexible schedules are, are a little bit more common now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Planning does matter. I, I, I do think, um, also it's, it's honestly, it's, it's a, it's a, form of respect for the guests too, you know, letting them know, like, maybe we can talk in a week or two, um, or three. And, but the good thing is I found that if you have to reschedule, which I do often, <laughs> um, they they respect you back. So that, that can be nice too. And Gabby, you had said that, you know, it's, it was so easy to start. So, or what are you editing in? Maybe for anybody that wants to start a podcast, do you want to maybe just tell them like what you picked? So as an undergrad, I'm very low budget. I look forward to, you know, one day being able to maybe, you know, invest in some more expensive software. But currently I use Anchor and Anchor is free and easy to use. It distributes uh, my podcast to all the platforms. So I really just press one button and I can edit on there as well. So for me, it's been a really uh, great tool to use. Uh, There's a mobile app, for example, if I'm at work and I forget to launch an episode before I go to work, I can launch it from my phone. I really like that. And I did used to record on Anchor. And the reason I don't do that anymore is because they don't have a video. And my first couple interviews, I did do just over the phone. And I really realized that, you know, we were already doing it virtually. I'd rather be interviewing people in person. That that the video really helps an actual conversation happen rather than just questions and answers. It allows you to feed off the other person. It also helps you not interrupt uh, so you can talk when they're taking a pause. It really helps make the episode feel like a conversation and feel like you're listening and you're sitting there it really helps the flow. I, and I agree with Adam, you know, editing is so essential and I spend, you know, it's quite a bit of time that you need to make sure you're cutting out for editing, but also I really enjoy promoting the podcast. And like, once it's done, I really enjoy getting to post it everywhere and see what people are saying, uh, you know, getting responses back from the person I've interviewed or lots of times my family's very kind. They all listen and they'll give me their opinions because I'm always looking for ways to grow. And, uh, it's been really, really cool. I, I'm glad that I kind of came into it and learned along the way because it's felt more of like a, a real DIY project. <laughs> yeah, great. So 
Um, to maybe pivot from podcasting for a moment, Phil, you're trying to do something very different. You know, you're very much interested, you know, with the Human Sign Task Force and really like sort of, you know, an ecosystem or a platform for everybody, say all of us on the call, plus everybody else to contribute seemingly maybe in a multimedia way. Um, and so you want to maybe speak a little bit why you think that's necessary versus maybe these sort of like, I don't want to say one off, but these separate initiatives. No, you're on mute. Let me. Uh... So, yeah, Adam and I have uh, talked through this a lot, and it's really difficult to separate our perspectives as anthropologists who try to tackle problems holistically. Um, so, it's actually kind of turned into a bit of a almost like a design anthropology project in some kind of ways, um, in some ways. Uh, but my work is as a consultant in user experience, brand strategy, and innovation. And so I'm always kind of looking at cultural change and trying to understand, you know, what's happening on kind of the human side where people are mobilizing around issues. And it's something that's happening right now uh, in a lot of different domains. For example, I've been collaborating with a group called the Human um, called All Tech is Human, and they just released a report that was very timely in light of the attack on the Capitol on improving social media. Uh, and so while we are having these conversations within the field of anthropology and um, the AAA uh, has been very involved in trying to impact society in positive ways because it's really clear that society needs human science perspectives, it's also happening in other disciplines. And so as all of these things are changing, even last year, there were so many platforms and tools that were launched very quickly, uh, just as a result of the need. For example, you know, um, StreamYard is, is a great platform that, that we've used. Uh, and there are all these other resources that you have for editing video effectively and uh, kind of being able to do that at scale so you can... You know, we, we want to be able to not only understand how people use tools as anthropologists, but apply what we understand to this initiative, which is really to try to help people from human science fields, but especially anthropology, shape public discourse. And for, for me, that, that really requires an appreciation for media like podcasts and the fact that when you are talking with somebody and all you hear is their voice, you're going to engage in a certain way. And that can be really useful for a lot of conversations. And sometimes, for example, uh, um, TikTok is a really interesting platform. And I, I did do a Google search uh, yesterday to see if anybody had coined the term um, TED Talks. But you have people, because they're limited in the time they have, but they also have a lot of creative tools. They'll put together these like mini TED talks and try to explain something. And a lot of them are really, really insightful. So, for example, there was one where a guy who was bearded, who you know, he he did he was an, an unexpected messenger, um, but he was talking about systemic racism on TikTok. And I thought to myself, I bet this guy's a social scientist, but he's not. He's just a, he's a filmmaker. 
Um, but he just has this perspective as a result of, of his personal experience that makes him very eloquent. And that medium, it helps him convey information in a way that's really, really useful. Uh, and so what we've done over the last year, we've done several uh, online events through video calls like this. Uh, so we've done them on, and actually Amy um, was part of, I think probably our largest one, which was on applying anthropological ethics. So it's called Ethics Are For Everyone. But we've done it, uh, our very first one was on quarantine culture. And that was with Elizabeth Briody, who we're collaborating with now on um, kind of the evolution of the Human Science Task Force, which is focused on developing training. But also, you know, when you address that social component, that's not the only part. You also have to think about the media and the technology that you're using as well. And so um, that's something that we're going to be exploring. Uh, and so, you know, lately, uh, a new platform called Clubhouse, which is drop-in audio. Um, it's another one that's voice only, but as a result of a lot of things, all the decisions that they made with the design and how they launched it, it's something that has become really intriguing for uh, public intellectualism. So that's really kind of what um, my focus has been, trying to understand how do we go back to a time when you know people like Margaret Mead or Marvin Harris were really shaping public discourse, and we were able to push back on people who might be you know, thought leaders with creative ideas, but they might not have the depth of understanding that you do. And so that's really kind of where we are right now, where we're figuring out what technology we're going to be using. So Clubhouse is going to be something that we're going to be using um, because you have a different kind of conversation on, Club, on Clubhouse, uh, but also continuing the events um, on with video. And also, lastly, just bringing in people from outside of anthropology uh, so that we can, um, you know, learn from them, but also help them understand the value of anthropology to their work, not just our methods, which are popular. And, you know, ethnographic research is something that's kind of, you know, it's become an offering, right? But th we have a lot more to offer. And that was like the topic of our, of our ethics conversation, too. Our perspective holistically is really, really needed now, especially in light of um, all of these crises that we see that have um, systemic causes. I'm curious, seeing as you and Adam are working together, I don't know if you've maybe ever shared this data, but can you say that either, you know, I think a pure audio play versus a video play is performing better, at least, you know, I, I appreciate that the content is not the same, so it's not exactly a fair comparison, but do either of you two or you two together like have a sense of, you know, for our audience, which does better and maybe what should we all be thinking as well as any listeners out there? Hmm. So I guess I'll give my take. Um, but the idea was um, in part to just understand how we could leverage various media. So I haven't really seen out data to show that one medium is better than the other because we were doing a lot of collaboration, for example, with this anthro life, we would, for example, do one of our first projects was a podcast that I did. And it was uh, kind of an interesting one because it was basically me telling the story of my graduate research. And that was the audio component. That was an episode of this anthro life. And then 
we created a video essay from that. And this is a really, really interesting uh, experiment that was really successful. We have had a lot of engagement. Um, so then we had a video conversation where we had a, a pre-recorded video essay, and then we had a live Q&A after that. Um, so I haven't really seen one medium or another being favorable, but I have kind of noticed that you have all of these um, advantages when you uh, try to make them work together. Yeah. One, one thing I can add to that briefly is, um, to, to Phil's point, it's interesting, like, um, and I think we've all found this, if you produced a podcast, you don't necessarily, you get download numbers, but, you know, engagement, as Gabby points out too, is like on a different medium on Instagram, for example, right? Like you don't chat with somebody on, on Anchor. Um, and so because of that, like the engagement is a bit tricky to triangulate. However, like if we're doing, so this platform we're using for this uh, panel right now is StreamYard, right? This is what we would use for human science videos. So the video essay was on StreamYard or the podcast episode, the same, the same content audio was on, well, actually published on Anchor also. And so what we did see is that we got direct engagement on this platform that we had the video, um, whereas we would get like more indirect conversation from the podcast, if that makes sense. One of the other differences too, I mean, I would just say that in general, we see that like video does get a lot more traffic. People will just put it on it in the background more. And like, there is good evidence, data evidence that if you do do an audio podcast, it is sensible to also have a, you know, YouTube version of that podcast. Just so again, it puts on a different channel. Some people will just put on, you know, lo-fi hip hop on their YouTube channel and we'll listen to that um, rather than putting on Spotify, for example. And so podcasts can do well uh, for that reason also. Uh, in terms of putting them on a different a different space. Um, but it is interesting to kind of think about what might be a better channel for engagement. And it, it, it kind of depends on what it is that you're looking for, I think. So again, having a panel like this, folks you know, can comment on YouTube Live. They can comment on, on... I don't know if you can comment on StreamYard itself, but you can comment here. And then also, um, if you're doing podcasting, right, if, if it's live, then you give someone an opportunity to give you a response, right? But then... So it just depends on, again, what kind of engagement do you want to have? You put the thing out there and then folks can then talk to you right then, or do you put it out there and then it might generate conversation over time? Yeah, I'd like to add something to that is um, thinking about all of this as an ecosystem of platforms and ways of communicating. So, okay, you have a podcast, have a video version of it too. Um, if you have a uh, if you have a blog, a podcast, whatever, share it on social media, and then you're like putting it out into the world, right? Um, when I post stuff on my blog, I'll link to that on my LinkedIn so I can get people to go over to my blog, or I just post on LinkedIn. So like, I think the, the nice thing here is we have all these different tools and platforms that we can bring together to spread the, the word and the work that's being done. And we have to think about how do people like to learn? How do people like what platforms, what media um, is it a dissertation that people like to read? Or is it a LinkedIn post or a TikTok video? I remember when Vine was out and it was like 15 seconds, 10 seconds. And that like, imagine, you know, the test is, can you communicate your, your dissertation in a TikTok video? you are doing really well. And so, so I think really paying attention to how people like to learn, you know, do they listen to a podcast as they're falling asleep at night? Um, as they're driving somewhere, they're working at home, they put the YouTube video on in the background, maybe they like to see it, maybe they don't care. So we have to be aware of how humans and people who are interested in this stuff 
um, prefer to intake this type of information. Yeah, you know, and so but to jump in there, one of the things I've been thinking about, and maybe, Amy, this is a segue into what I wanted to ask you, and we can go out of order again. But, um, you know, the problem I'm having right now, so Adam, to your point, I think it's helpful to record audio and, you know, say for a podcast, but then to also do something on YouTube because people consume content in different places and for different reasons, you know, at the gym versus at home versus at work, right? We All, all of it's kind of contextual. My problem is, is say with the podcast, I've been recording the podcast, I've been recording video and audio. So I've been pushing the audio out to LinkedIn and I've now started publishing the video to YouTube, but I don't want to go back and like hammer people again on LinkedIn and say like, here's another version of that same piece of content. You know, why don't you check it out? And so this brings up just a bigger conversation of like, what is too much? Like, you know, how much is posting is too much? And, and that's why I said, hey, maybe we can kind of weave into what you do, because I know you're very active on LinkedIn and, and very skilled at using LinkedIn. But, you know, the question for me again is like, you know, what's too much, you know, how much can I share on the different platforms without sort of driving other people crazy and almost turning them off from the content? So, Amy, I mean, do you have any input on that, given that you've been sort of at the social media, sort of, uh, you know, you've, you've been on that wagon for a long time? Um, I want to take this a step back and go, anthropologists need to get their ass on LinkedIn to begin with. <laughs> like get on LinkedIn, start to network, start to share what you have on there, post stuff that's of value and relevance to people, uh, you know, share stuff from your dissertation in a, a public type way, right? Like we ought to take advantage of these platforms, whether it's, it's LinkedIn or Instagram or, you know, podcasts, whatever it may be. So I don't want to say there's like, too much. There's a social media practice of like, don't bombard people with anything too much. Uh, you know, don't be salesy if you're a business or don't constantly post like the same thing or don't post stupid stuff. You know, I don't think there's any such thing as that, but I think Matt, my advice, um, or just something to think about is if you post a link to a podcast on there, how does that attract people's eyeballs to your post? If you post a, a video, like let's say we post this video next week, we use the screenshot of our screen right here. It's all five of us. People are going to be like, oh, there's people talking about stuff. Like I can see these people in my face. I can click the YouTube link right now and go over there and like watch it or save it or save it for later. Open up a tab, add it to my 50 million tabs. Hopefully it'll get watched. But if you post a link to a podcast, I wonder if that the immediacy of wanting to see that is, is the same um, again, you can do both, or maybe it's like, Hey, I have a podcast. Here's five recent episodes just to let you know what's been on there. So I think again, like we can, we can, there's like best practices in general for any kind of social media posting. Um, but we have to understand the user experience of how people interact with technology and how they seek out information, how they want to find information. I have something to say on that point, uh, and that is, I agree with Amy. I don't think there's, I think, well, let's, let's, not, let's not say there's not, there is too much. There is, you know, every holiday, but I think that it's different kind of content. Maybe always, for example, when I post a guest, I ask them for photos of them doing their work, whether sometimes photos, sometimes they're of them in the field, 
I think that that can really help when you're promoting your podcast as this or any media as a product and you have it be multi-dimensional. So I try to talk about my dog on my podcast sometimes. I'll post pictures of her on the Instagram. You know, I'll post fun throwbacks of me traveling because I think engaging and getting people interested in your brand in different ways other than just saying, hey, here's my episode, here's my podcast, here's my blog, but really giving them an insight into you so that when you do post things, they are excited. Your, the, your followers, your listeners, you know, people that are you're connecting with on LinkedIn, um, I've been really happy to have joined after my episode with Matt, I was really thinking about ways that I could continue to, uh, get, get myself and the podcast on more platforms. And LinkedIn has been a really great use. Uh, so I definitely agree with Amy that more people need to get on there. It's really helpful. And I had a guest on who just said, I got my very first job in paleontology from LinkedIn purely because I was on LinkedIn. And I think he, you know, he's an undergrad. So that, I think that says a lot that it, it's very applicable and it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Amy, did you have something else or? No, I just, I love it. And I just want to emphasize, like, there are, there are other ways of, of communicating and sharing what you know. And I want to see more blogs, more podcasts, more TikToks, less dissertations. I want to see master's students and PhD students creating a podcast over the course of their studies. Um, If you have an internship, documenting that on a blog and sharing it out there. And you're not just like, you're still building anthropology knowledge and you're, you're practicing anthropology. You're adding to the knowledge base, but it's for a wider audience. It benefits the public. It benefits you to get a job to practice communicating in in different ways. And you're exemplifying for other people that this is totally possible. And so I just, I I love everything that everyone here is doing. And there's so many more efforts out there. Someone that I thought of, um, uh, his name is Jason Antrosio, and he's a professor, I forget where, but he's been running a blog, a website called livinganthropologically.com for years, I think at least as long as I've had my blog. And he has a section on there for anthropology blogs on any topic whatsoever. And there there must be at least a hundred blogs on this list uh, talking about like which topic it is, who it is, what it's about. Um, Mine is on there, like all these other people's are on there. And, And like this resource literally exists. So tons of people are doing this. Um, I'll give you another example, the National Association for the Practice of Anthropology, NAPA, um, ha- uh, has a blog. And last year or the year before, uh, there was a special blog, uh, kind of a short-lived blog project called Designed by Anthropologists. And there were 10 articles, 10 essays about lots of different things um, um, uh, from people working in the field of design, technology, user experience. And so... This blog is done and over with. It exists on the internet. Um, it will be highly relevant for years to come. It's good documentation of the work that people are doing. It's associated with a professional organization, but it's stepping outside of the, the norm for how professional organizations um, communicate and support anthropologists. So there's just so much out there. There's never going to be too much. Um, we all need to keep 
producing more information and helping people. And again, going back to school, like let's let's explore new and innovative ways of communicating information and sharing what we know. So therefore, on Anthropology Day every year, we can like look at how we've impacted the world through our work. And I think amplifying other voices is very important in that. Like you were saying, I always try, you know, if I find a anthro, whether it's a book or another podcast or another person who's posting really interesting content, I try to share that with my audience because if I'm engaging with it and I'm liking it, that means that I'm sure my listeners are going to as well. And so I think it's really important to amplify other people's voices and other people's projects, which obviously we're doing here, but just in general in our everyday lives. Mm Mm-hmm. We have the one comment that I put up on the screen from Maria Sprain of Montgomery College, and she said that they're having students create digital stories on YouTube based on their unique research, which sounds like a great idea and Mm -hmm. kind of what you're talking about. And so um, maybe, uh, Phil or Adam, maybe you can jump in there. Phil, you said that, you know, there's a number of video editing tools that either you've used or looked at. Is there anything that you two have learned from the video work you've been doing over the past year that maybe you could share with anybody that's listening that would be helpful? Sure. So I think that kind of touching on Amy's point about uh, fewer dissertations and, um, you know, more uh, media that are kind of focused on impact, I think, and we're we're actually working on a project right now that's focused on public intellectualism within anthropology, where we're uh, learning from the luminaries in, in our field who have been able to really impact society in meaningful ways uh, publicly. But what we're learning is that it's just really, really difficult to do that. And it's important, I think, for us to kind of take our purpose as anthropologists who are understanding the world, which can oftentimes require us to get deep into silos and do things like dissertations but then find a way to convey that in a way that is understandable and actually has an impact. So I think that a really unfortunate position that a lot of anthropologists find themselves in is they can look at the world and see all the problems with it and problematize because they have a perspective that can be really useful in actually addressing the problems. And so I think that with video, um, that's a really important medium for uh, conveying our understanding in ways that are engaging for people. It's just really, really difficult to come up with a narrative that is useful. So I, I definitely think that, um, you know, video as kind of part of that, uh, you know, like, like short videos, for example, that's kind of the medium that we're uh, focusing on right now with our our current initiative where we're focusing on uh, getting insights. It's, it's basically, it's like meta anthropology, anthropology about anthropology. We're, we have our informants, really our co-theorists, our interviewees, whatever you want to call them. Um, they've been collaborating with us to understand how do we make impact um, more impactful, um, make anthropology more impactful. And so I think that, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that video is a really important part of that. Um, just figuring out how to convey a story in a way that's compelling so that we can, you know, um, basically 
understand, which is kind of the traditional role of anthropologist. Uh, but then we can convey our understanding in, in ways. So I, I definitely think that video is a really important uh, part of that. But the thing is, too, the, the ecosystem is evolving so quickly. Um, so, you know, maybe a seven second or a, a TikTok video uh, is more useful for a lot of things. But they can also just be thinking kind of as a well, systemically um, as just being an ecosystem. That might just be how you bring people in for those longer conversations where, you know, like long form blogs, they haven't really gone away, but the, the, their impact has definitely changed in light of short form and image based platforms. But then you have, the, you know, the pendulum and that, that could have had something to do with kind of the, the change in how public intellectualism is impacting society versus TED Talks, which don't have to be that long. And oftentimes your expertise does not have to be as deep. Um, so it might be the, the leader, the CEO of a company and not, you know, somebody who's lower on the, or up higher on, on the totem pole who is um, actually building technology and has a deep expertise. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that video is, is important. I'll, I'll let Adam chime in with his, his perspective on that. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I think you're, I think you're totally right that with all the tools at our disposal, like there is so many ways that we can tell stories. Uh, and as we know, like anthropology is such a capacitive discipline for understanding the human condition that it can, it can get overwhelming to how to tell the story because there's so many pieces that we want to add in to, to tell the story in its true complexity. Um, but it's something that Grant McCracken said to me when we were, we were prepping for the episode we did with this anthro life. Um, and he, he said, you know, working in industry for so long, you, you have to kind of be okay being an intellectual short order cook. Um, in industry is, is how we put it, which I thought was a really wonderful and evocative phrase of like, you have to be able to, you know, cook out the scrambled eggs really quickly to get the idea across. And that's what people, they just need that. They need breakfast. They don't need you to like teach them how to make a chicken farm, right? When that's what we want to do as anthropologists. And so for us, I think, um, you know, whether we work in industry or in academia, or we want to just learn to tell stories, part of the project that, that Phil and I are working on with Elizabeth Bridey and others is basically getting these luminaries working with, you know, Genevieve Bell and Jillian Tett and, and some of these, these, like some of the most publicly accessible and known anthropologists to have them walk us through how they have media training, how they tell stories quickly, how they do lighting for video and, and all these kind of things that we don't often think about when it comes to how do we tell a story. And so honestly, some of this, this work is really, we understand how to do anthropology. All of us who, if you've done, if you've studied anthropology, we get that side of it but we don't often know how to tell the stories. And that that's, is ironic because we our work is collecting stories from people, right? Um, but we don't know how to tell them because we we make them complex. And so that's that's really this project is we're actually, we're learning how to tell stories by hearing and having them tell us how they tell stories, but then we have to edit those into video. So again, this is why it's, it's kind of meta, but we're super excited about it um, just because it's, it's refreshing to hear from, you know, folks at the top that are doing this kind of work. They've been doing this for years and them just opening their doors to let us kind of hear from them. And so we're super excited to share it with everybody. Um, I'm not sure when it will come out or when they'll start coming out, but they're going to be little, little training modules, like how to talk to media, um, how to talk to journalists, for example. I like just said how to write in a more publicly accessible manner, for example. Uh, just because that is like, honestly, what we need is storytelling training. And that's, that's you know, kind of what that is about. And so video also, if you do any editing for podcasting, for example, real quick, is I, I use a program called Descript. And it is changed the way that I edit. I mean, I've used Adobe Audition, I've used Pro Tools, I've used GarageBand, 
Um, I've used Anchor. And, and, but Descript is amazing because you drop your audio in, it auto-transcribes it, not perfectly, but 95% correct. And then you can edit the text and it edits the audio for you. It doesn't do it perfectly, then you have to go in there and then master the audio and, and you have to do special cuts. But it has saved me hours of editing over the past three years um, since it came out. And so like that to me has changed the way that I think about storytelling because now I can do what I call narrative editing much easier because I can get people's conversations as text, move pieces around as needed, and then go in and do the, the fine cuts to make the audio sound good. Um, but either way, so like we have so many tools and when, when, I, when, the, when you find things like this, this to me changes the way that we can then tell stories, you know, over audio. Again, imagine, you know, if you want to like take a conference paper, speak your conference paper, transcribe it, then edit it in a way that sounds fun to listen to. It'll change the way you think about writing. And so, hey, I, part of it is I just encourage play with these tools. There's so many cool tools out there. We can, I don't know, have an email list of stuff later, but um, there, there's so much, there's so many great ways. But again, so this is just about like, how do we learn to tell stories better? And so that's, that's what we're here for is like, let's, let's make that happen. Yeah, cool. And so, Abby, you're going to try Descript? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think she knew that you said Gabby. Gabby, did you? I said you're going to try Descript? Oh, that sounded cool. Sorry, I didn't come through my AirPod for some reason. But yes, uh, that sounds really cool. I even I just had to transcribe um, illness interviews for my medical anthropology class. And oh, it took me hours. So I wish I would have known about that about a week ago. <laughs> We can go back in cool. time. So, Amy, you know, based on what Adam was just saying, and you know, Phil had made the earlier comment that you know, long form blogging is is kind of, you know, maybe maybe not dying, but it's it's definitely taken a hit. Why? Um, what do you think blogging has contributed? You know, if, as, as somebody who's now done it ten years, you know, how do you think it contributes? And are you going to keep doing it, or are you thinking of doing something different? Things have evolved. So yeah, um, if you do Twitter, you have an entire archive of posts about your career, whatever it may be. Um, though it's really fast paced, people can consume it quickly, easily. They can always explore further. Um, if you have a blog, maybe you have an email list where people who have a high interest in what you're talking about sign up, they get a notification through email when you have a new post and they take the time to go read that thing because they're interested in something longer form. Um, I, again, it comes back to how do people want to consume information? The type of information and the amount uh, relates to the platform you want to put it on. So uh, thinking about my own blog, yeah, I, for many years I was writing like essays and that's something I got better at is, is writing not in academic style, essay style, like getting too in the weeds on the stuff. So that's been a benefit for me. But um, I, you know, I look at my stats on my, my blog site on WordPress and the bar chart of posts each year is just going down and down and down. But my posts on LinkedIn are going up. And the evolution of things has meant that I, I'm on a platform like LinkedIn or any social media, right? You have, your audience is right there. They don't have to go to your blog. They don't have to sign up for your newsletter. If I do a blog post, I will link to it on LinkedIn. Um, and you know, what's interesting is the algorithm actually works against people linking external links to LinkedIn because they want you, like any product or website or app, they want you to stay on the platform and keep your eyeballs on the platform and and engage and all of that stuff. So that's kind of an interesting thing to consider. But anyway, I will link to that 
but I've moved to mostly posting. It's like a mini blog. Like LinkedIn is a mini blog. Um, the archiving and access and findability of stuff is not great, but the purpose is to go is to talk about stuff where my audience is people who want to know what I have to say. Again, I don't plan stuff. I kind of just think of things, um, you know, like Adam was talking about off the top of my head and, and, you know, post on that, but it's there and, and it creates a conversation. So a long time ago, blogs were where conversations happened and you would sign up for blogs and you would leave comments and there'd be a bunch of comments, but the engagement in the community is on these platforms. And so that's where the engagement and the discussion happens about stuff. So I think that's kind of why my posting has shifted. That said, I will still post longer, long form things or, you know, imagery or, you know, I use my blog, um, oftentimes just to share events that I'm doing. Um, it's, it's a, it's an archive. Um, uh, it's, it's easy for me to point to my blog as something I've produced too, um, versus like, Hey, follow me on LinkedIn and try to find stuff. These things serve different purposes essentially. And again, it's nice to have, uh, a few different, places um in the ecosystem that support each other um with the information that you're trying to share i know you've worked linkedin you know over the years to you know as an independent contractor consultant whatever whatever title you know freelancer you've used linkedin a lot i believe to, to even get work so do you have any sense of you know has maybe more work come to you through your website or through linkedin any idea what has been more effective for you being findable online and proactively answering questions about people who are interested in you and then getting them to contact you is the point. And so having a website serves that purpose, having a LinkedIn or a blog or whatever it might be serves that purpose. So I think you have to look at it holistically in that way. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I have gotten work, jobs, connections, unpredictable opportunities my entire career because I've been on LinkedIn also for 10 years. And so you, it's a long game on there, um, building that network, being, you know, meeting people who you may not have met in person ever, and then working on projects with them or getting clients. Yeah. When I, um, you know, I've been self-employed for a few years now. And when I was doing research consulting, yeah, I've, I got clients through LinkedIn, um, because, you know, it's the second thing about me that comes up when you Google me my website, and then my LinkedIn. And people want to know about you before they, they contact you. Um, or, you know, I'm connected to them and, uh, or, uh, you know, someone two connections away sees my post somehow, and that leads to, to opportunities as well. Um, but uh, speaking to my current situation as a career coach, I get 90% of my clients on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn obviously is a, a platform for job seekers and professionals. Um, it's not just for job seeking, it's a community as well. Um, it, what does that say? LinkedIn is the modern Rolodex. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it's, it's great. It's great. And, and so, yeah, I get pretty much all my clients on there because they see that I have a background in user experience and that's who I focus on. I don't work with people in other um, fields of practice. Um, and then they see that I talk about stuff. I share relevant information. I, I give information away for free and that creates, um, value in 
the eyes of potential clients and then they reach out to me. And so, um, so I, you know, I do encourage people to get on LinkedIn regardless of the type of work they're doing. And I saw someone in the comments say like LinkedIn is weird. I think it's just, you have to kind of understand it a bit more. You have to understand how you can take advantage of it as a platform for yourself as a professional, um, even as an academic, I'd love to see more academics on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've, I've looked at some academics who are on there and it's like a shell of a profile, right? It's like sometimes not even a photo. You know, there's maybe the job, but they haven't posted anything in eight years. They don't, I think people don't know what to do with it. They don't really understand the platform and the benefits that it can bring. Imagine if our professors were all on LinkedIn and kind of, you know, spent some time on there posting their stuff. And then students had their LinkedIn profiles and then they could, you know, be part of this network that their professors are part of. And maybe there are connections into, you know, community organizations where they could do projects. Like, I, I think it's, it's challenging for academics to be in yet another place that doesn't seem like it would benefit them or benefit their department or their school or their students. But it does. I think it's just very non-traditional. It's also associated very much so with um, the private sector. And, you know, there's all, all kinds of discussions about, especially in anthropology, about working in the private sector. Um, but that's where most of us end up working, um, is in the private sector or government or nonprofit, maybe. So, yeah. So, Adam, you, similar to Amy, um, you also have been at the game a pretty long time. Your podcast is about seven years old. So, you know, maybe curious to hear even from from both of you, you know, what does it take to really sustain the effort that you've put in over the long haul? And, um, you know, what has, I know, Amy, you've just spoke about some things that have changed in terms of writing, but Adam, maybe what's changed in the podcast game? Yeah, that's, it's a, it's a good question. And something that, you know, I think about, I've, I've really been thinking about this also in, over the past two years too, because it's kind of like, why do I, why am I still doing this <laughs> on one level? Um, and, you know, to your, to your point. So when I started podcasting, it was 2013. This is right before Serial took off. And this is basically the rise of podcasting in, in the public imagination. Now podcasting is so everywhere that, you know, every celebrity has a podcast. And so it's something that we like, it's it's so part of our like common cultural tapestry now that it's a little strange to contemplate, um, you know, time when it, when it wasn't. And so when, when in 2014, 2015, 2016, when I was a graduate student, um, you know, as, as I said, it was a, a kind of a graduate school therapy. So it was a way for me to express my creative need to have anthropological conversations that could show that it's possible to basically talk about the importance that, I don't know, the, you know, Marx's labor theory of value helps us understand human, the human condition without saying that, without having to say, here's what this thing is. And actually to Gabby's point before, we actually had a theory swear jar that if you used a, a anthropological term, you got in, in trouble you know, between us, it's like, you can't, you can't say terms without explaining them kind of thing. Um, but then, you know, for me, as I, as I finished graduate school and, and really actually in the past, the, the, um, I don't know, like two years as I was finishing graduate school, both when I was in the field, um, I did field work in Peru. And then the last year of writing dissertation, uh, it was very clear to me that I was not going to go into academia. I didn't want to, I wanted to go into industry and I, but I didn't know what that meant. Um, I was really attracted to design the, the field of design, design anthropology became a very important um, 
framework for me to think about how I might do my you know professional development and the kind of work I wanted to get into. And so I started using the podcast as a tool to explore alternative career paths. And this was by interviewing folks that were working in the field. Um, I mean, one of the, the first episodes I did on a career thing was actually with Vijanti Vajrevu, a, a mutual friend between Phil and I. And it was called, Is, Is Corporate Anthropology Selling Out? was the episode title. And uh, it was a tongue-in-cheek title, but the idea was like thinking of this is something that I think a lot of academics or people that are maybe transitioning into, into the industry struggle with is what does it mean to make this transition? Am I selling out? Am I just going to go work for the big bad corporate bad guy or whatever it is? And so I used the podcast as my tool to, to figure this out. Um, what that meant though, similar to probably Amy's blog, is that it meant I was documenting my own experience in that process of what it means to explore going from you know, you can see my academic side transitioning over to, to an industry side. Um, and now I, I kind of have them married together. And so for me, it was kind of recognizing and embracing the fact that my own passion and purpose of doing the podcast evolved. And then I had to evolve with it, right? And that if I stuck with what I originally did, was just having internal conversations around a topic, then I would not still do this podcast. But uh, because I found that it was it's a flexible and open enough medium uh, for me, that I was able to have it kind of changed with my own my own needs, as it were. And what was what's been really empowering about that is that the podcast has not only helped me get a job and make help me get client work. Um, I you know have heard from folks that have listened all around the world also that have said you know we use this podcast on thesis. I use it to think about stuff. You've helped me understand more from your podcast than than getting a BA, which I'm not sure if that's true, but thank you. Um, you know, uh, I've, uh, folks that have said, I, I listened to your podcast for how you ask questions and I used that way of talking for job interviews and it got me a job. And like that to me says, that's why this, this is worth it. And so even if I may feel like, oh, this is really hard to produce, it takes a long time, <laughs> you know, um, I, it's, I, I like hearing from other people makes me realize that there's value in this work. You know, for me, it's always been that now I, I just say this podcast is just about arming people with the tools to communicate better, to like understand human problems better, and then to, to help us deal with them in ways that um, we're not just going to be pushed over by, by some angry demagogue. We're not just going to be told what to do by somebody else. Um, but we're also going to be holistic in our thinking. We're going to be fair-minded. We're going to we're going to suspend judgment, right? We have the capacity to do these things, but we have to be armed with the tools to do it. And uh, so actually, that's a really great comment we're seeing right here. But how do we evangelize it to industry? This is actually a deeply important question. So for me, the podcast has been one way that I've explored this kind of question. How do we think about, uh, like, what value does anthropology bring to other industries? And so what I've done on this anthro life specifically is, um, I mean, for the past two years, nearly all of my guests have been people that have worked in industry. Um, Amy Santee's been on the show. We have an episode with Phil Searles. Matt Arts, we've done a number of episodes together, um, all industry-focused. And so because of that, like, I mean, so it's, it's kind of funny. We're having like a, a, a podcast pool here, right? <laughs> and Gabby and I will soon do some episodes together too. So, but the idea is that, uh, you know, for us, th this has been like one medium that we've explored this option. And so for me, that's, you know, embracing the change again in my own passion of what I'm trying to do and find work and then the purpose of what it's for. Uh, you know, now it's about arming folks with, with, you know, the tools to think and to speak and communicate and tell their stories in, in more articulate ways. Um, that's the work. And so, uh, I've been so surprised that like the kind of guests I get pitched now, which is actually very exciting. People asked to be on the show. Um, 
are often not anthropologists. And that tells me that there are people that realize there's value in this conversation. So for me, actually, one of the, the biggest, most interesting things about how the show has both sustained itself and, and kind of altered now is that I'm often the only anthropology connection on the show. I'll be talking to a cyber psychologist or a marketing or neuroscientist expert. Um, and because of that, then it's actually my job to defend anthropology, as it were, or to show why it's valuable. And that, I think, is super exciting. And the fact and these people ask to be on the show. So the point is, there is a dawning recognition. I, I also want to just want to highlight um, the work of Dan Pojid and colleagues. who um, has co-edited a book called Why the World Needs Anthropologists. He runs a conference every year called Why the World Needs Anthropology. But specifically, um, him and some other colleagues do a project called the People Project. This is it's in Eastern and in, in parts of Western Europe. But this project is tying together industry professionals and, and, and graduate students, the point of which is not only to help graduate students in anthropology get jobs in industry, but it's to help industry understand the value of anthropology. And so realizing, um, one thing he helped me understand is like it's such an important uh, piece to teach this as a two-way street. Like we, we as anthropologists, we do a lot of hard work. And actually, um, Daniel Latour made a really interesting comment before about there's already, there's, you know, when I was saying about we're trying to teach anthropologists how to write better and speak better. Um, there's a dilemma because, right, there's, there is a lot of strategic communications work already out there. Why are we reinventing the wheel? That's the question. Part of it is, you know, and that we're trying not to do it. So it's realizing how do we get a more clear way of having a two-way street? It's about us teaching anthropology's value to the world, but then also helping other fields realize that, um, you know, that there is value. Like it's not just on us to then have to then speak to the media, not just on us to then have to figure out how to tell our stories better, but we have to have other in organizations, institutions do the same thing. And so I don't know. So I'm going like all over the place here, which is what normally happens. Um, but there's so many directions, I guess. So it's just, it's just like sustainability, I guess it's just about letting that passion, letting that purpose change. And then you get yourself here, I guess. <laughs> Well, you know, Phil, you just to build on that real quick, you um you know, you've done some work for some large organizations and you're obviously involved in, in this shared project with Adam. So what are you doing to evangelize anthropology, you know, in industry and maybe in your previous work and career or how you're doing it now? Sure. Well, that's actually a big part of what human science is. Touching on what Adam just said about how do you go about this in a way that's sustainable so that your podcast doesn't turn into a mini-series in a project. So it was, it was 10 episodes that you did. And then I, I think a big part of it that touches on kind of um, what's been discussed already and why human science is really looking at ways to bring together our efforts so that this is creating more of a platform for what we're doing so we can support each other more effectively. I think that that's a big part of sustainability because this is a lot of work. And if you're working, you have like your day job as well. Um, there are ways you can have this effort uh, be more meaningful. Uh, like for example, with, with this anthro life uh, or whenever you're producing media, very often the people who are receiving it are potential employers and collaborators. And oftentimes you'll find it's a lot easier to explain why anthropology is useful when you're talking to the smartest people in their uh, fields of knowledge. So like, for example, one of uh, the comments, um, Barry, he's, uh, he is somebody who is uh, in advertising and we've collaborated a great deal because he saw the need for that. And so advertising is one of the 
the areas, one of the disciplines that's always been extremely innovative, um, where you have creatives, but then you also have technologists. You have to leverage the media and you have to write and, and you know, produce music and things like that. And so that's one of those disciplines, one of those fields uh, where anthropology has been embraced. Um, and so I've, I've talked to so many uh, leaders in, in advertising who will just, after a conversation, you'll be able to kind of start to point out some problems because you'll have a language to describe what's going on. And then they'll have the insight uh, to help you understand what, um, how anthropology can be useful. So that, that's really how I think my professional collaborations uh, have generally gone, where it's getting into a really cool, nerdy conversation about how do you address this problem or what's happening. And um, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's increasingly the case, especially with, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, people writing about culture, for example, you know, that's one of the big, that's one of the big issues um, that we're having to, to deal with right now, especially now as it's changed. So for example, our very first event with Elizabeth Briody was on quarantine culture. This is the world's leading expert on organizational culture. And every single Fortune 500 or startup CEO should have at, at least one 30-minute conversation with her um, on the planet. Because she, like, I, she, like, she was somebody who was instrumental in my dissertation research. And even going in to work as an applied anthropologist because she worked at GM. I used to live in Flint, Michigan when I was a kid, and I was obsessed with cars. And so that was something that you know, I heard about in my introductory class because my professor showed um, anthropologists at work. So there's always, I think, been kind of this uh, intersection of applied anthropology and anthropology in business and public intellectualism in anthropology. And a lot of the luminaries um, in anthropology have done both because that's a, a, a skill set that you need. If you're going to talk to, you know, some Fortune 500 CEO and you get, you know, 20 minutes with this person, um, that's a lot of time. And they are probably thinking about, you know, a dozen other issues. Uh, and so you need to understand how to engage them effectively. And a lot of that is, you know, what you're learning as you're communicating publicly. So I think a big part of just sustainability is just us getting out of our silos and also maybe changing some of the culture. So for example, YouTubers, they're always collaborating. There's so much cross-pollination. And this is also happening within, um, you know, anthropology podcast world. Um, and so I think that, that the change is happening. And so the, the, the focus of human science is really to figure out how do we come together and work together collaboratively. So for example, you know, everybody who's watching this, if it's not going to offend your, your followers, you know, share it on, on YouTube, share the link, right? Um, it's, it's something where we, we learn to kind of, and it, it's not the same in every um, uh, field of knowledge, but in anthropology, we learn generally how to create our own structure. And that re requires us to go into our own personal silos within these disciplinary silos, right? And so I think that it's definitely time that we figure out how, how do we make it so that we don't get burnt out. And a lot of that just has to do with figuring out how to, how to approach this issue systemically and collaborate. So I think that's what we're doing right now. Like we got 
we got two podcasters. We have um, we have the, the OG and we have the, the young blood and we got we got Amy who's the the, the um, you know the 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 leader of uh, LinkedIn of anthropology LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> you know, so we can all collaborate. It's just a matter of how do we organize in a way that helps make that happen. And that's also going to require probably some technical components as well that we have to put together um, and kind of craft um, ourselves. Yeah, and so I'd like to maybe, you know, considering the time, I'd like to maybe close on collaboration. So Daniel Latour brought it up in the chat. Um, you know, Phil, you just mentioned, I think, Adam, you might have said the same thing. You know, as somebody who squarely works for me, you know, in the design anthropology space, we are always collaborating, you know, with other disciplines, participatory research, participatory design, right? That's sort of, you know, the the space that, you know, I really enjoy. So this is an effort to do that, but obviously we need to do more. So, you know, what does everybody think is the next sort of easy you know, what, what, does everybody have a recommendation, not just for us? I mean, obviously, like, you know, Adam and G Gabby, you know, you should both go on each other's podcasts. Adam, you and I should, you know, Amy, maybe, you know, you can start the blog sort of uh, guest posting back up or something like we did, with, you know, when we were both on the Napa series, you know, vice versa, so and so, you know, so, you know, it doesn't have to be those things. But what does everybody, does anybody have any suggestions for the next steps for collaboration, not just among us, but really with everybody that's listening? I think that something that I've started doing is having a Zoom coffee with other anthropology podcasters. And I've done that twice now with two different people. And I think that just trying to make those genuine connections where we can talk, yeah, we can talk about anthropology, we can talk about our lives, we can talk about why we're interested in what we're interested in, what we research, building those genuine connections in, I think, more events like this. I did a Galentine's Day with other archaeology ladies and we just watched a movie together on zoom it was one of the funnest days ever because it was just a bunch of people with similar interests watching an archaeology movie and yeah poking fun at the archaeology movie sometimes but also just talking meeting people from all over the country i think you know these really you're talking in the chat we were talking about potentially meetups eventually and yes i really really hope that that's a world that we can return to but for that time being making these virtual events where we can really connect over virtually until we have the opportunity to do it again in person, like at conferences and such. Yeah, I would just add that um, related to businessanthro.com, we have the New York City you know, business anthropology meetup, which right now during COVID obviously has gone virtual. And we've had some internal discussion, you know, with the team that's leading that about streaming those in the future. And so actually today was sort of a uh, test run for me to figure out streaming because my intention is to bring my laptop and set it up and, and stream those so that everybody can connect because, you know, in the past few weeks, I've recorded a few podcasts with Stephen Garcia and, and Brooke Gibbs, both UNT students who one's in LA, one's in Atlanta, and they both had the opportunity to join the last meetup. And in the past, they, we've actually had a conversation about them joining if they're ever in New York and they were thrilled to be able to join so, you know, the goal is possibly to stream those in the future. So agree meetups, you know, Phil, I know you're big on that. I don't know if you want to say anything specific on meetups, but definitely agree with meetups, even though it's maybe not new media, but I think we can turn it into new media. Yeah, exactly. So that's actually um, a big part of kind of the technical component of human science, which was to understand, okay, <clears throat> meetups have moved online. I mean, they've always been on, well, they've been online for, you know, uh, over a decade, but 
now all the meetups have to be online. And so you have, uh, you know, online meeting platforms, uh, you know, before COVID there, there, there were, um, anthropology meetups in person and that was a way to engage people. Uh, and that was a great way, especially we can talk to somebody and, and follow up with them. Uh, but that's, you know, in many ways has moved online. It's moved to video calls like this. So this is basically an online event. You also have things like, like clubhouse, so it's all audio. And so that's really, I think, a big part of the next step. I think that we are entering a new era of public intellectualism. And I think, you know, the first thing we should do is we should just all follow each other because we're all working on something and we're all going to be collaborating. Um, but, uh, you know, leveraging the technology. So, you know, and, and sharing knowledge and, um, yeah, so I would say, you know, eventually, hopefully we can all, hopefully we can all meet in person. Maybe it'll be the next, um, business in anthropology, uh, anthropology and business conference or something or Epic or whatever. But, uh, I think, um, I definitely think that, uh, just kind of getting outside of, of our, uh, silos and collaborating whenever possible is, it's the, the most useful way because this is really difficult. I mean, this, like this is something that it, it's timely, um, but it's something we can all assist in. Like we all have different uh, areas of expertise and competencies. And uh, if we collaborate, if we pull our efforts, we can make a real difference. Um, and I think that's kind of where things are going now where we, we are starting to, to organize. Um, and also, you know, have a follow-up event from, from this. Let's do a follow-up event. Um, you know, everybody watching, follow us. We'll do a follow-up. Maybe it'll be on Clubhouse or, um, you know, some other video platform. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's keep this going. Yeah, if, if I can jump in on that, I think something that I've been thinking about as a as a as a creator that has gotten close to burnout a number of times, um, the collaboration is so important. But you know, one one of the ways to think about this is is that we I think can be better about like we don't we don't have to do more by doing more we can we can kind of do more smarter i think and and one of the ways of that is is like building teams in better ways and like this is an example of of us of all five of us are creators you know talking on a panel right now not everybody wants to be a creator but they may want to work in a creative atmosphere and the thing is i need help editing the podcast i need help with social media i need help with doing guest booking. And there's like, there's so many pieces when it comes to writing a blog or running a website or doing social media or, or anything, um, even preparing for talks, you know, that it's interesting questions of, of what kinds of things do people want to do if they want to be sort of cre creative adjacent or if they want to be creatives themselves. I think, uh, you know, as we, I think we may all can empathize with the fact that as anthropologists, um, you kind of end up doing everything yourself. And that's, that's the graduate school mentality. Um, and that's difficult. Uh, and when I started working in industry, I realized we don't like to Matt's point, we all work on teams every day for work, right? I can ping my, my colleague and run over an idea. And not that you can't do that when you're a student too, or in, in, in graduate school or undergraduate, but it's different. And it's like, we can actually take some of these like super simple ideas. Like we work on teams at, at work into how we do our creative and collaborative enterprises for this kind of work too. And like, we don't all have to be the one running the show kind of thing. Uh, unless unless we all want to be, and then that's, that's a different problem, right? But recognizing that that the more folks I talk to, some folks are just happy. They want to like, let's I want to be creative adjacent and work on social media with you. Great, let's do that. You know, and so 
being more clear about the kinds of spaces of work that we can do together, uh, I think is, is super important because I think there's more of us out there than we realize that we all, I don't think we all want to host a podcast. We might, we don't all want to write a blog. We don't all want to do these certain things. And maybe some of us are terrified of public speaking. Um, but those of us that aren't or that want to then can, you know, either train other folks or, or, you know, share spaces in that regard. So I think that there's, I don't know, there, there is, it's very hopeful. I'm very hopeful, I guess, that there's, uh, there's so much opportunity for people that want to share. There's so much hunger, you know, for, for experience that we all feel starved for. Like, how do I make sure I get into whatever industry or space I want to get into? And so um, I think part of it too is just that, of just being a little bit clearer with, with ourselves uh, about the kinds of work we could do together. Yeah, I like that. And it goes, I think it's a theme of what we've been discussing about um, uh, bringing other people in, sharing other people's work, bringing other voices in. And so let's say people don't want to put all the effort or time or whatever into doing their whole own entire thing. So we look for people to be on our podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I ha- occasionally will have guest posts, um, you know, people uh, uh, guest post on my blog, and then I share that out, right? And so that's uh, a way to enable others to talk about what they're interested in and what they know without having to do something on their own. Um, and that's Adam, that's what I like about your podcast in particular is you have such a wide variety, um, beer and quinoa and business and poop and gotta have it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's actually one. I'm not just making that up. That was a podcast topic. So yeah, it's like, let's get people onto our platforms. It's not just about us. It's not just about like talking about our own thing, but it's uh, a, a much more diverse and, Hey, if you know there's a student and they want to get something out into the public, um, we can help them practice that. You know, we can help them create a piece of public information that they can share on their social media that they can talk about in interviews. Thanks, Amy. And an interesting question just came in about imposter syndrome. Um, so, Gabby, I, you know, you just started your podcast. Yeah. You want to maybe jump in? I definitely have uh, something to say to that. One, one of them. <laughs> was being invited to this lovely live stream and seeing that um, Adam Glamwell, who's one of the biggest anthropology podcasters, was like going to be on it. I, I, I had a little moment. I was, wow, that's so cool. But I think that it's making me more confident. So I think taking that imposter syndrome and realizing that I am capable. And as an undergrad, I'm quite young. I'm only my third year of undergrad at, at UCSB is really turning it and using it for my own advantage, because I feel like, oh, I lost my train of thought, but I feel like, mm, totally lost my train of thought. Gabby, <laughs> I mean, Gabby, you were talking about, uh, you were starting with talking about Adam and, the, you know, this yeah. idea of like, oh my God, I'm joining this thing mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm just an undergrad. And yeah, that it's help? something that, it's something that I started from my apartment. I do all of my episodes, you know, from home in my little, this is my podcasting corner with my microphone, but it's been really cool because I'm really realizing that I can create change. And some of the topics that have been brought on the podcast just naturally come up. Equitable collaboration, making sure we acknowledge second and third authors on papers, racial studies, all of that. I've been able to learn along guests so that it gives me these new ideas that as I'm going along in this podcast, my to- my vision, like Adam was saying, it's changing along with the podcast. And so that imposter syndrome is starting to go away because I know I'm creating my own product. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, and you know, I just want to jump in and Gabby, the reason I had reached out to you was because you were new at this and and younger. You know, as an undergrad, I felt it was very interesting that you had started this initiative, this podcast. But I think personally, you know, it's I think it's important that we have sort of a range of um, of you know ages, disciplines, everything, right? So be, I've always found it like particularly interesting to work around you know other people who I don't want to say it's not just younger, but like some sometimes younger people have like really exciting ideas that as we get older we sometimes get like a little bit more you know curmudgeon, right? And so I've always been energized by by you know working around younger people, and then I think in exchange, you know, you might like you know, maybe, you know, some of us here could provide some guidance, you know, from having done other things. And so in terms of collaboration, I'd like to make sure that going forward, you know, it's it's much more diverse age, you know, background, you know, all backgrounds, right? And, and intentionally trying to, um, you know, make sure that that is something, whether it's in writing, on the podcast, in video, that we are really, really uh, making part of our effort, you know, and Again, even like undergrad versus grad, you know, master's yeah. versus PhD, everybody has a perspective that's valuable. And so uh, we thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. And I try to have undergrads on my podcast as well, because, you know, some of, some of them are my friends, but some of them are people I'm just meeting. And, you know, they come on the podcast and sometimes we have to restart the episode, but I'm really glad that I'm also able to help them in a really non-stressful environment. Yeah, let's restart the episode. You know, if you stutter, we can edit it out because it's good that they're getting that first exposure on the podcast. So then when they go have future interviews, they're a bit more prepared. And I honestly love love that, that it's that I'm getting to do that as well and prepare them in a very non-stressful environment. Yeah, and you're doing great work, so. Yeah, so, and I, Gabby, you are awesome. Like, you, holy Gabby. moly, like, I don't know if you fully understand the impact you're having at such an early part of your career and even in your education still on the discipline, like you're in the, you're in academia trying to make changes uh, with everything that we've been talking about. And it's extremely impressive. It's, it's like, let's go work inside of a corporation and like change stuff from the inside. It's the same thing, right? You're in academia, you're trying to make changes and, um, and from the traditional stuff. And I guess just real quick, I'm curious, like, what is the reaction from your professors? Are they like open to this? Do they get it? Are they like, what are you doing? Like, how do you feel about people's feedback within the academic world? That's a great question. I have been so lucky. I always say that UCSB is a very collaborative place. Some schools can be a little competitive. UCSB really fosters uh, an environment of collaboration. And my teachers and professors have, I mean, I had my first day of winter quarter having a surprise that two of my professors had recommended my podcast on the first slide of their intro lectures for their students as a way if you guys want to learn more about anthropology that was such a cool thing um i've been just overwhelmed by the amount of people that just want to come on and talk about their story because i really do try to focus on the person behind the science just as much as their research because i think it's so much more impactful when you learn why someone is passionate about something because especially in this I suppose in other fields, lots of times there's personal connections. For example, someone may have grown up in Guatemala and then they moved to the United States. And so now in their anthropological research, they want to go back and they want to study societal problems in Guatemala. And that's such an interesting connection that 
really adds to your research. It's a whole different perspective. So I've been really lucky. The feedback has been great. I've been uh, really lucky to have some professors that, you know, proofread things for me, proof listen to things. My family has been so helpful. I mean, my my family who knows nothing about anthropology, listen to every episode and give me their feedback. So I'm really, really thankful for for all the help I've received. That's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, very cool. So I guess in closing, you know, we're at a pretty much hour and a half, so be respectful of everybody's time. Does everybody maybe want to give, you know, one sort of last uh, suggestion to maybe inspire others or anything you want to say? Yeah, I'll start. Um, if you are in academia right now, if you are a student, please advocate for this type of stuff we've been talking about say, hey, I don't want to do a 50-page master's thesis. I want to do a podcast. I will conform to academic standards or requirements in some way, like citing people or theory or whatever it may be. But hey, I want to do it in a different medium. And if you're a professor, please be open to that kind of thing. Um, Think about the, the well-being of your students when they get outside of academia and how to best prepare them to communicate, to function in the workplace in a non-academic context. And you're going to be able to, you're going to help them by opening up methods of of thinking about their work and their training and their education um, and what they're interested in. And so be receptive and open-minded to um, exploring other ways of thinking about and doing anthropology beyond the traditional academic practices. Um, one, one reflection I'll add uh, is, I mean, thank you all. This has been an amazing conversation and it's, it's a joy and a treat to get to talk with you all. And, and I can't wait to continue these conversations. Um, just, uh, just, I guess the thought going forward, if, if you're thinking about doing any of this kind of work, whether it is, you know, the, the creative side or, or working on, you know, academic projects or industry projects, just when we're, you know, this may sound weird, but like when we're trying to get people to be excited or interested in anthropology, usually they already are. Even you know, they, they most often if you say anthropology, someone says, "Oh, I took that class in college, and that's my favorite class." Um, if that's that's a great start. If they never heard of it, or they're thinking about why somebody would would be interested in this, one of the things I, I think about is that I'm not trying to sell anthropology. I want to sell what anthropology does. And so the question for me is always about what does anthropology help? What problem does it help somebody solve? How does it help us solve a problem in a different way? And so for me, just that small lens shift in any conversation changes the way that that I we, we think about anthropology. And so for me, just that small piece, don't sell anthropology, sell what it does. I guess I'll chime in. Uh, I guess one thing I would just end with is, you know, this is the kind of thing that some people really relish. They like to express themselves. They're gregarious, extroverted. And a lot of this comes naturally. And I think, unfortunately, very often, those are not people who go and you know decide to go into academia and study anthropology and get really deep into things um, where they're thinking about things. And I feel like there, you know, there are a lot of people in academia who are more introverted, uh, who just might not feel comfortable you know, getting outside of their comfort zone. Um, but realize that, you know, that whole process of academia, you have to be taken out of your comfort zone. You have a lot of the skills that you need um, to just kind of, uh, you know, learn how to express yourself. In, in academia, you have to express yourself in a particular way. Um, 
And it, it's, it's the kind of thing that you can learn how to do, especially as you have all of these tools that you've talked about and resources. And I think all of us are resources as well. Um, you know, reach out if, if, for example, you know, you want um, uh, human science to showcase your work because it's really relevant and talk about it. Um, but yeah, I would just say, you know, it, even if you are not necessarily inclined to express yourself and to talk a whole lot publicly, um, the other side of that is just a responsibility. And the fact is, is I think that a lot of us go into anthropology because we, we have a, we, we, it's connected to who we are personally, like, like Gabby mentioned, um, you know, we're, we're in it for a reason because it's very personal to us. And, um, the other side of that is just, you know, sometimes you just have to get outside of your comfort zone and do it. And, um, it's just really rewarding. I mean, I think that's why we're all here. We're, we're doing this, this work, even though it's really uncomfortable and we might have imposter syndrome and we might have the technology fail. Um, you know, like it looked like you might have to do, have with this one. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's part of the experience and, you know, you're writing your own story, you're living it. Um, and so, yeah, as we're telling these stories, just kind of embrace the challenges and go with it because there's not really anything that that's going to really happen to you if you, if you fail, except learning from it. And then, you know, the next time you'll have a, a, an amazing, um, you know, solution to something. Thanks everyone. So all great comments. I'd like to maybe just close by saying that, you know, from my perspective, I'd like to see, you know, maybe to like Amy, what you said earlier, more academics on LinkedIn and social media, and I think, you know, there's there's a lot academics can do because, you know, the fact of the matter is, is more content is being found by the web, right? So you need, even if you want your academic content to be found, you know, you need to have, I don't know if I'm saying right, but like your ORCID ID and, you know, you need to be on Google Scholar, right? You need to be doing like all these things that the web provides to, you know, the internet provides so that we can actually get our content out there. And I also think, you know, we say on this, on this session should probably also try to contribute back to academia because, you know, Phil, Adam, to, to the people that you're interviewing, whether it's a Genevieve Bell or, you know, Sarah Pink or whomever it may be, they're great at getting the message out, but they're also fantastic at contributing back to, you know, to the generation of theory that then sort of inspires the next generation. And I think all of us need to do a better job at that because while we might be doing a good job right now of new media, we're kind of lacking on the other side. So, you know, maybe, you know, Adam, you and I had once talked about doing that paper on podcasting, you know, maybe we can fire that back up and, you know, it's time. yeah, from our SFA pod, uh, from our, you know, talk years ago. But so, you know, I think we need to, it goes both ways. We're here saying academics do need better, but some of us who are practicing need to go do better in the opposite direction. And then last is, you know, I think we, we need to all be doing this, contributing back to theory, contributing back to academia and sort of like, you know, having a nice sort of reflexive relationship because there are serious changes that need to come, right? We have seriously wicked problems that, you know, just practitioners alone with their current methods or theories can't solve, you know, and there's, you know, academia doesn't fully understand some of the problems we're trying to solve in its own right, right? So we really need to have that relationship. And so um, I guess I'll leave it at that. Thank everybody again. It was wonderful. Thanks to all the listeners. Uh, great. We'll, we'll do this more often. So thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you all for listening to the Anthro to UX podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotous.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.